And to all the fathers in the room, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. How many fathers do we have? Yeah, let's, let's give them a hand. Appreciate the fathers. I texted uh, all of my children. I have five children, and I texted them today and, you know, just had to tell them I love them and that I, of all the jobs I have, my most cherished job, um, probably next to being the husband of this wonderful lady, uh, is to be a father to my kids. I still am amazed how enduring and powerful the love that God gives us for our children. We love them always, under all circumstances, and it is such a privilege. Um, we are in a series right now called The End. So we're exploring some kind of difficult topics about the end, the end of time, the end of all things. And we started with, are we living in the end times? That's the, that was the first installment. Is this the end times? Second, we went to, when is Jesus returning? That's what we talked about last week. When is it? I've actually asked a few people who I love and respect, hey, what do you think Jesus is coming back? And they kind of smirk at me and say, I know you don't know the day or the hour, but what do you think? Today we're going to ask this question. Um, I mean, we, we've got to talk about what, what happens after this life. What is heaven going to be like? What happens when we die? And then we're going to have to ask this uncomfortable question, is hell real? I mean, what, what about that? Is that a real deal? In Ecclesiastes chapter 311, there's this, this one phrase that to me explains why we have to ask these questions and even wrestle with the tension of whatever the answer may be. And that is this, that God has put eternity in their hearts. We, we, we just can't be okay that we lived and we died and that's it and there's no more discussion. We, we, we can't not think about what could be beyond death. And so if we're going to talk about end things, we, we've got to talk about this subject. You know, every, uh, every Saturday, I have one of the most important conversations of my week with my youngest son, James. And so every Saturday, this is what he's going to ask me. Dad, you speak tomorrow? And I, if I say yes, he says, topic. So now I have to, I have to like whoosh, summarize the entire sermon in a statement he can understand and appreciate. And so yesterday, we're on our way to the Dollar General, of course. And um, he says, Dad, you speak tomorrow? I says, yeah. He says, topic. And I'm scrambling. Well, James, I'm, I'm speaking on hell. Do you know what hell is? No. Well, you know, like when people die, we've talked about your grandparents. Some of them have passed and they're now in heaven. And he says, ah, skip that topic. See, because James is a smart boy, he knows the, re the reality is the only way you get to heaven is you have to die first. And he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. 
so I'm driving the Dollar General. I'm like, so you don't want me to talk about heaven? Yep, skip. And you don't want me to talk about, about hell, even though you don't know what that is? Yep, skip. Well, what do you want me to talk about? You want me to talk about Dollar General? He says, yeah, that's the one. None of us like the idea of dying. I don't. I talked to my dad on the phone. It was the morning of Father's Day for him. And in our conversation, he reminded me that today is the birthday of his mother, Leon. I loved her so much. She was wonderful. She died in her late 60s. Way too early, it seemed like. I said, Dad, you know, I just hate this idea of losing our loved one. He said, I know. I know. We've got to ask these questions. My grandmother said to me as she was getting ready to go to the hospital for the last time, Eddie, I'm, I'm crying because I know something's really wrong. She grabbed my hand. She said, Eddie. I'm going to be okay. I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. But I really do worry about your grandfather. And she had reason to worry because we couldn't cook a lick. I'd tell anyone. We, had, we were in trouble when she left us. But when we laid her to rest on a cold Iowa morning in March, covered up with our grief and loss. We had a hope. You know, Jesus actually speaks more of hell than he does of heaven in the New Testament. Did you know that? He preached 33 times about hell. Um, why did Jesus do that? Why was, why, I mean, that's just so negative. As much as I don't want to preach this message today, why did Jesus want to preach this message? You know what I think it is? It's because Jesus was full of compassion, and you warn people so that they will not get hurt by the potential of that hurt. And I think Jesus tells us you got to know the realities out there post-life so that you will know how to prepare yourself. Did you know that uh, Jesus preaches 33 times about hell? It's mentioned 167 times. And yet today, in this age, theologians and pastors are distancing themselves from the topic of hell. 82% of evangelicals do not even believe in hell. 63% of Catholics do not believe in hell. 60% of mainline Protestants don't believe in hell. I mean, this is according to the Pew Research Forum. Uh, contrast this with the fact that Jesus often brought this topic up because he was here to rescue. Why did Jesus preach about it? It's because Jesus wanted us to focus on why he had come. He had come to rescue us from condemnation and to bring us to the Father's house. John 3, 16 and 17 are the verses that I, I remember when I was a little boy and I, it was what, it helped form my understanding of the gospel even as a child. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So there is this possibility of perishing. Should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I mean, that's what he wants to do. He wants to save. He doesn't want us to be condemned. Now that's all the positive message. But if you continue on in that very passage into verse 18, this is what Jesus says. He who believes in him, speaking of himself, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus is saying, let me tell you what's really going on here. Every person who is born and grows up, you begin in condemnation. And Jesus and the story of the Bible is the effort of God to come and rescue us all out of our condemnation. And if we don't get the rescue or we don't receive the rescue, we will be condemned for all time and eternity. And that's, what's, that's what hell is all about. And Jesus goes on to say, and this is condemnation. That the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. And that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so every person, every person who is alive needs to be rescued from their current status. Of condemnation. You know, the idea that we see in cartoons and movies and entertainment that God gleefully decides to just send people to hell, uh, that, is, that is out of context, absolutely. What's going on here is that Jesus said, you are in condemnation and I have come to rescue you out of condemnation. I have come to pay for your sin so that you can forever be in the house of the Father the way it's supposed to be. Some people say, well, isn't, isn't, there, isn't all the pain and suffering in this world, isn't, isn't that enough hell? I mean, you got to admit that it's pretty awful, the disease, the sickness, the natural disasters, the tornadoes, the earthquakes, the tsunamis. I mean, that's awful. You, 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 you look at what happens in those times, and it is just heart-wrenching. And then there is the evil that is inflicted by people on people. Um... There are the thieves, uh, there are the murderers, the rapists, there are, there, there are the friends who betrayed, the parents who didn't love. I mean, this goes on and on, and this is also an awful thing. People think and say, well, that's kind of like hell on earth, and I'm, I'm going to have to agree. It is, it is in that same category because it's part of the corruption and the fall. And that's what Jesus came to repair. He came to rescue us out of our condemnation. It is not a substitute. It is a precursor. The Bible teaches that each person, after they die, will be judged once and for all. They will either be given eternal life in heaven or eternal condemnation in hell. Hell is a place of endless conscious punishment for sins. Some have taught that there is, um, you know, some variations, though not biblically substantiated, 
that there, there is uh, some people who are, are in a, a time of punishment and then they are annihilated and then they just disappear. Others say that really um, everybody who dies will eventually be saved. That's called universalism. You, you know, without effort, without decision, without anything, everybody is going to end up in heaven anyway. So just y'all need to chill out and relax. Only that's just not what Jesus says. That is not the truth from Scripture. In light of that, there would be no real consequences for anything that we do here. And why would Jesus come and pay such a high price if it's all going to be okay in the end? So Jesus in Matthew 13 says this. I'm not going to go to all the passages. There are so many, you can read them yourself. Put them all together, you have a pretty good understanding. But let's just take Matthew 13. And the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be in the end of the age. So what Jesus is saying is, you know, when you go fishing, you throw out a big net, you, you drag it along the boat, you catch everything that's in the way, and what, that's what fishermen do. And then they bring it to the shore and they, they begin to sort good fish and not, not good, not marketable. And so they put the good in baskets and the throw the rest away. And Jesus uses this to explain. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's a very brief description of hell according to Jesus. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. So the first thing that we need to know is that Jesus taught that hell was real. I mean, that's what, this is the words of Jesus. I know there are people that have all kinds of opinions. I've heard all kinds of people have opinions about God, life, death, heaven, and hell. And, and here's my problem with them is who, they're just a person. They've never been beyond the grave. They have no idea. There's only one person that's ever died and rose again to live for all of, for, for all of eternity, and that's Jesus. Are you going to ignore his his conversation? You're going to ignore what he's teaching? Are you going to believe your friend who has concocted some kind of a personal idea and philosophy based upon what? We don't know. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says there is a real place. It's called hell. And here's how he describes it. It's a place of emotional suffering. Emotional suffering is pretty hard to deal with. You, you know, it's, the, it's that... Um, gnashing of teeth. Now let me tell you what gnashing of teeth feels like. It feels like when you have a bunch of kids who are learning how to drive and you're the father and you're teaching them how to drive, which was not my banner moment. I'm telling you what, I made them all mad, made them all cry. Uh, not a good, I don't want to teach you how to drive, honestly. I'm, I'm just not good at it. Um, and so, but, but one of my speeches was, now listen, kids, you've you got to remember this, that when you back up, you put that car in reverse, you better make sure you look in the rearview mirror. But before you even think to take your foot off the brake, you don't only need to look in the rearview mirror, you need to throw your arm over the seat and turn your head and look out the back window. You must do that. In the middle of all of my great teaching on how to drive, I'm in a parking lot of a store. I jump in the car because I'm in a hurry. I strap on the seat belt, uh, start it up, put it in reverse. And before I get the arm back and the head turned, I hear the crunch of car to car. And I go, ah. That's emotional pain. Everybody say that with me. Ah. 
That's gnashing of teeth right there. The financial pain and humiliation followed that. But anyway, that's how it all started when the car hit that other car in the parking lot. You know what Jesus says about hell is that it'll be a place of eternal gnashing of teeth, of emotional pain, the pain of regret, the regret over your own mistakes. It is the pain that will confront you every single day and it will never go away. Uh, The regret over who you have become, the character you have developed, the people that you have hurt, the relationships you have broken. It is the emotional pain of admitting the lost opportunities to bless and not curse, to help and not hurt. But ah, I didn't do it that way. And this emotional pain you will feel and and you're going to, it's going to go on and on and on. If you have the courage to honestly evaluate your life and confront your own sin and mistakes today. That is a gift. Why do people not want to come to church? Well, I don't want want the preacher telling me where I'm wrong. Okay. You come to church, and we read the word of God, and it reads us, and we're provoked to evaluate. We're provoked to confess. We're provoked to, we're to, to ask God for forgiveness and to seek the power of the Holy Spirit to change. To say what we should be saying. To go back and ask for forgiveness for what we shouldn't have said. To try to change moving forward who we are and what we should be. That this, this is what happens. Is it always comfortable? No. Is it the path? Of salvation? Yes. There will be the emotional pain of saying, I should have listened. I should have paid attention. I should have been less arrogant and more humble instead of fighting what Jesus said in every conversation. I should have surrendered and listened. I heard that Jesus was the Son of God. My friend shared with me the story of his sacrificial love demonstrated on the cross to pay for my sin. But instead, I was so full of pride and fight, I chose my favorite sin over the righteousness of God. I made such a mistake. Ah. I want to tell you this. If you're here today, unlike those who are in hell, you have hope. Do you know what could happen on this very Sunday? You could have an honest conversation with God. You could confess. You could say, God, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Change me. Emotional pain. Second is physical pain. The Bible uses terms, I mean, Jesus uses terms like fire, furnace, heat, flames, all to describe hell. I mean, Jesus used the most painful and difficult words to describe the physical pain of the suffering in hell that feels like unending heat and suffocation. Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. And the physical anguish, like the emotional anguish, never goes away. There's the relationship suffering. Um, you know, there are some people who love this idea. They say, oh, well, I'd rather go to hell anyway because that's where all my friends are going to be. Anybody ever heard that? 
I don't want to go to heaven with a bunch of church people. That's boring. I, I don't want to go to hell. It's, you know, and, and you know what? There is this fantasy that gets sort of developed. It is going to be the eternal frat party. It's going to be poker games, orgies, and freedom to do whatever in the world I want. And I said, in the world, I want you to know that. Hell will not be that way. You won't be partying. It's described as a place of utter darkness, a place of no relationships. There will be no community. There will be utter aloneness and separation from God and from people forever. If the great command of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, and he's telling us to develop community, hell will be the antithesis of what God offers to us. Fourth, spiritual suffering. Revelation describes hell as the bottomless pit. Imagine that you let go of the hand of God who created you because you decided that you were going to refuse his rescue and you were going to venture out on your own. And the moment you let go, the second you let go, you begin to fall. And then it dawns on, the, on you that each second you fall further and further away from God's help, his love, his mercy, his goodness, his rescue. And you can never stop falling. And and. You will be forever, throughout all of eternity, further and further away from the only source of help. Second Thessalonians says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Jesus ends this passage in verse 51. And he says this, Have you understood all these things? And they said, Yes. Now, you may be sitting here today and say, I understand, um, I, but I don't like it. I don't know if I want to believe it. Um, when I think of hell, I hate this idea. I, I hate it. It is the most awful thought I can think of people I love and even strangers I don't know spending an eternity in a hopeless place apart from the presence of God, forfeiting the glory of an eternity in the presence of an almighty God who loves and cherishes. Why should you believe in hell? First thing is because Jesus taught about it. He said it was real. Um, he speaks in the book of Matthew alone 12 times on this subject. Why did Jesus talk about it? Because with a broken heart, he reaches people with a warning as he offers a great salvation that he himself would pay for on a cross. Second, justice requires hell. God is the most loving and accepting being in the universe. If you want to know what that looks like, take a look at the life of Jesus. Jesus absolutely loved and accepted every single person that was around him. He accepted prostitutes. He ex accepted tax collectors like Zacchaeus and others. He, sh he stood as the angry Pharisees came and threw a woman who had been taken in adultery at his feet and demanding that she be stoned. And Jesus stands up in silence to the angry mob and begins to write in the dirt. I don't know what he has, had written. We don't know. It's not recorded. And then he turns to the crowd of these angry men who are self-righteous and condemning. And he says, all right, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they begin to all leave the circle until no one was left. And Jesus stands and he says to this woman, woman, where are your accusers? And 
She says, only you. And Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is absolutely accepting of her. He doesn't condone the sin, but he doesn't condemn. He delivers. We live in a world where sin, by its very nature, is full of deception and enticements. The devil lies and says, forget God, he's a bigot, he just doesn't want your happiness. He, he just wants you to have to do what he says. He's ready to punish. I mean, but that is not at all who God is. God hates sin because he loves people. And what he knows is that sin destroys the people that he loves. You might say, well, I, I can understand that God would need to punish Hitler, Osama bin Laden, or Pol Pot, or, or, or name the murderer of your choice for the atrocities and crimes they've committed, but not me. I'm an ordinary person. I'm not perfect. We love to say that. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not deserving of that. And you know what God says? God, God says, here, here's the fact about all of us. All of us are moral degenerates. All of us have sinned. We have all made promises that we have not kept. We have all been guilty of loving, uh, loving um, things more than people and lusting and having thoughts of impurity. We have all been guilty of resentment and hatred toward people. Uh, we know the right thing to do, but we don't do it. We cover up and lie so that our mistakes can't be known. And the truth is that we are all moral failures and no one gets delivered except by the grace of God. Last. The rescue. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of the rescue of God to pick out those who are condemned and deliver us. Hell wasn't made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. One of the most told stories, and it's appropriate to be told on this Father's Day, is the story of the prodigal son. A man had two sons. One was a prodigal son who demanded his inheritance so that he could go off and live his life as he pleased. He got his inheritance, which was such an insult to the father who was still living. He goes out to a far, far country, and the Bible describes him as he, he, he squanders all of his money in in riotous living. And then when he gets to the end of all of that money, all of his friends left him. He was starving to death. He finally just signs up for a job to feed the pigs, which was the worst job any Jewish boy could ever have. But he goes because he's starving to death and no one's there to help him. And he has no hope. And so he eats the food the pigs eat until one day in the muck and mire and the stink as he's gaunt and hungry, he comes to his senses and he says, you know what, my father at home treats even the lowest of his servants much better than what I'm experiencing. I'm going to go home. And he prepares this beautiful speech. He says, I'm going to go to the father and I'm going to say, father, I've sinned before God and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But all I'm asking is, would you, would you let me be one of your hired hands? So he gets up and he goes. He's stinky and ragged and gaunt and he makes the walk home and the father sees him afar off and runs to meet his son. 
the son begins the speech, oh, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy. And the father silences the speech. And he says to his servants, go bring a robe. Put, a, put one of my nice robes on this boy. And here's, here's, here's a ring. Because you see, my, my son, get the fatted calf ready. We're celebrating because my son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive. Those are the terms that you and I experience spiritually. I love that story. That's how much the Father loves you. And as long as you have breath, you can turn to him. God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world. And this holy God bridges the gap between the justice of God and the need for us to be forgiven, someone to pay by sending his son. And there on the cross, the wrath of God against all sin that has destroyed the creation of God from the beginning of the fall is met on the cross of Jesus. And Jesus absorbs the punishment for our sins. And he pays. I actually love Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, <laughs> aren't you so glad? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus says, here's the deal. If you come to me and give me all of your sin, I will then exchange it for all of my righteousness. But that's not fair. No, it's not fair, but it's just. Because Jesus paid. You know, I, I love to hear the story of people who finally come to that moment in their life when it all comes together. Uh, writer and seminary professor and pastor and creator of incredible Bible videos, Tim Mackey, talked about when he accepted Christ. He heard the gospel week after week because he attended this thing called Skate Church. The deal was if you wanted to skate in this covered uh, place, you, you had to listen to uh, the, the, the gospel message every week. After the message, you could skate again. If you didn't hear the message, you couldn't skate until you came the next week and heard the message. And, and so uh, he, he says that one day, the leader, one of the leaders of this skate church became aware of the fact that he was beginning to run with friends that were in the drug scene. And so he, he says to Tim, I, I want to meet you. And they met at Wendy's and he said this, you are going to ruin your life. How many gospel presentations have you sat through? You know the gospel. You need to follow Jesus. And then Tim says, and I didn't know what to say. 
if you were sitting at that Wendy's, there were no clouds that opened or no, no, no trumpets. It was just stained Coke on the carpet and cheap Vernica veneer tables, greasy smell of Wendy's, but the kingdom came crashing into my heart and mind as I sat there at that Wendy's and my sin and the ways I'd lied to people and hurt people, all of it came crashing down in front of me and the kingdom judged me, but at the same time, God's grace and forgiveness and the idea that I can be different, a different kind of human, all became real to me all at the same time. says, I, I, I want to save you. Will you receive it? I paid it all. You just have to accept it. So today, I want to ask you to bow your head and I want to ask this question. If you were to die today, do you know you would go to heaven? <laughs> 